Section six of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three. Cinnamon, what a corroboration! What a horrible corroboration! Cleek, you knock the last prop from under me. You make certain a thing that I thought was only a woman's wild imaginings said narkom getting up suddenly all a-tremble with excitement good heavens to have miss valmond's story corroborated in this dreadful way miss valmond who's she any relation to that miss rose valmond whose name one sees in the papers so frequently in connection with gifts to catholic orphanages and foundling homes the same lady replied narkom her charities are numberless her life a psalm i think she has done more good in her simple undemonstrative way than half the guilds and missions in london she has an independent fortune and lives in company with an invalid and almost imbecile mother and a brother who is i am told studying for the priesthood in a beautiful home surrounded by splendid grounds the walls of which separate her garden from that of lemmingham house ah i see then she is a neighbour of barrington edwards yes from the back windows of her residence one can look into the grounds of his that is how cleek mr narkom's voice shook with agitation you will remember i said a little time back that i would have something startling to tell you in connection with barrington edwards something that was not connected with that old army scandal if it had not been for the high character of my informant if it had been any other woman in all england i should have thought she was suffering from nerves fancying things as the result of an overwrought mind sent into a state of hysteria through all those abominable crimes in the neighbourhood but when it was she when it was miss valmond aha uh -huh, said cleek screwing round suddenly then miss valmond told you something with regard to barrington edwards yes a horrible something she came to me this morning looking as i hope i shall never see a good woman look again as if she had been tortured to the last limit of human endurance she had been fighting a silent battle for weeks and weeks she said but her conscience would not let her keep the appalling secret any longer neither would her duty to heaven wakened in the dead of night by a sense of oppression she had gone to her window to open it for air and looking down by chance into the garden of lemmingham house she had seen a man come rushing out of the rear door of barrington edwards place in his pyjamas closely followed by another whom she believed to be barrington edwards himself and she had seen that man unlock the door in the side wall and pushed the poor wretch out into the road where he was afterward found by the constable by jupiter ah you may be moved when you connect that circumstance with what you have yourself unearthed but there is worse to come unable to overcome a frightful fascination which drew her night after night to that window 
she saw that same thing happen again to the fourth and finally the fifth man the web-footed one and that last time she saw the face of the pursuer quite plainly it was barrington edwards sure of that was she absolutely it was the positive certainty it was he that drove her at last to speak cleek made no reply no comment merely screwed round on his heel and took to pacing the floor again after a minute however mr narkom he said halting abruptly i suppose all my old duds are still in the locker of the limousine aren't they good i thought so give leonard the signal will you i must risk the old car in an emergency like this take me first to the cable office please then to the mortuary and afterward to miss valmont's home i hate to torture her further poor girl but i must get all the facts of this first hand he did the limousine was summoned at once and inside of an hour it set him down looking the very picture of a solicitor's clerk at the cable office then picked up and set him down at the hampstead mortuary this time making so good a counterpart of petrie that even hammond who was on guard beside the dead man said hello pete that you thought you was off duty to-day as he came in with the superintendent jim peabody fast enough mr narkom commented cleek when they were left together beside the dead man changed of course in all the years but still poor old jim good-hearted honest but illiterate could barely more than write his name and even that without a capital poor chap let me look at the hand a violet smudge on the top of the thumb as well as those marks on the palm i see hmm any letters or writing of any sort in the pockets when found none eh that old bone-handled pocket-knife there his yes i'd like to look at it open it please thanks i thought so i thought so those the socks he had on poor wretch down to that at last eh down to that let me have one of them for a day or so will you and yes the photographs of the other four please thanks very much no that's all now then to call on miss valmond if you don't mind right you are let her go leonard down with the blinds and open with the locker again mr narkom and we'll dig mr george headland out of his two months old grave and at exactly ten minutes after eight o'clock mr george headland was dug up and was standing with mr narkom in rose valmont's house listening to rose valmont's story from her own lips and saying to himself the while that here surely was that often talked of seldom seen creature a woman with an angel's face how it distressed her to tell again this story which might take away a human life was manifest from the trembling of her sweet voice the painful twitching of her tender mouth and the tears that rose so readily to her soft eyes oh mr headland i can hardly reconcile myself to having done it even yet she said pathetically i do not know this mr barrington edwards but by sight and it seems such a horrible thing to rise up against a stranger like that but i couldn't keep it any longer 
i felt that to do so would be equivalent to sharing his guilt and the thought that if i kept silent i might possibly be paving the way to the sacrifice of other innocent lives almost drove me out of my mind i can quite understand your feelings miss valmond said cleek touched to the very heart by the deep distress of her but may i say i think you have done right i never yet knew heaven to be anything but tender to those who do their duty and you certainly have done yours to yourself to your fellow creatures and to god before she could make any response to this footsteps sounded from the outer passage and a deep rich masculine voice said rose rose dear i am ready now and almost in the same moment a tall well set up man in priestly clothing crossed the threshold and entered the room he stopped short as he saw the others and made a hasty apology oh pardon me he said i did not know that you had visitors dear otherwise eh what mr narkom is it not yes mr valmond replied the superintendent holding out a welcoming hand it is i and this is my friend and assistant mr george headland we have just been talking with your sister over her trying experience terrible terrible is the proper word mr narkom like you i never heard of it until to-day it shocked me to the very soul you may believe delighted to meet you mr headland a new disciple eh mr narkom another follower in the footsteps of the great cleek by the way i see you have lost touch with that amazing man i saw your advertisement in the paper the other day any clue to his whereabouts as yet not the slightest ah that's too bad from what i have heard of him he would have made short work of this present case had he been available but pray pardon me if i rush off my time is very limited rose dear i am going to visit father burns this evening and shall stop at the orphanage on the way so if you have the customary parcel for the children it is upstairs in my oratory dear she interposed come with me if the gentleman will excuse us for a moment and i will get it for you may we not all go up miss valmond interposed cleek i should like if you do not mind to get a view of the garden of lemmingham house from the window where you were standing that night and to have you explain the positions of the two men if you will yes certainly come by all means she replied and led the way forthwith they had scarcely gone halfway down the passage to the staircase however when they came abreast of the open doorway of a room dimly lit by a shaded lamp wherein an elderly woman sat huddled up in a deep chair with her shaking head bowed over hands that moved restlessly and aimlessly after the uneasy manner of an idiot's and the shape of whose face could be but faintly seen through the veil of white hair that fell loosely over it cleek had barely time to recall narkom's statement regarding the semi-imbecile mother when miss valmond gave a little cry of wonder and ran into the room why mother she said in her gentle way whatever are you doing down here dearest i thought you were still asleep in the oratory when did you come down the imbecile merely mumbled and muttered and shook her nodding head neither answering nor taking any notice whatsoever it is one of her bad nights 
explained Miss Valmond as she came out and rejoined them. We can do nothing with her when she is like this. Horace, you will have to come home earlier than usual tonight and help me get her to bed. Then she went on, leading the way upstairs, until they came at length to a sort of sanctuary where Madonna faces looked down from sombre niches, and wax lights burnt with a scented flame on a draped and cushioned prie-dieu. Here Miss Valmond, who was in the lead, went in, and, taking a paper-wrapped parcel from beside the little altar, came back and put it in her brother's hand and sent him on his way. "'Was it from there you saw the occurrence, Miss Valmond?' asked Cleek, looking past her into the dim religious light of the sanctuary. "'Oh, no,' she made reply. "'From the window of my bedroom, just on the other side of the wall. In here, look, see?' and she opened a door to the right and led them in, touching a key that flashed an electric lamp into radiance and illuminated the entire room. It was a large room, furnished in dull oak and dark green, after the stately sombre style of a Gothic chapel, and at one end there was a curtained recess leading to a large bow window. At the other there was a sort of altar banked high with white flowers, and at the side there was a huge canopied bed over the head of which hung an immense crucifix fastened to the wall that backed upon the oratory it was a majestic thing that crucifix richly carved and exquisitely designed cleek went nearer and looked at it his artistic eye captured by the beauty of it and miss valmond noting his interest smiled "'My brother brought me that from Rome,' she said. "'Is it not divine, Mr. Headland?' "'Yes,' he said. "'But you must be more careful of it, I fear, Miss Valmond. "'Is it not chipping? "'Look, isn't this a piece of it?' He bent and picked a tiny curled sliver of wood from the narrow space between the two down-filled pillows of the bed, holding it out to her upon his palm. But of a sudden he smiled, lifted the sliver to his nose, smelt it, and cast it away. "'The laugh is on me, I fear. It's only a cedar paring from a lead pencil. And now, please, I'd like to investigate the window.' She led him to it at once, explaining where she stood on the eventful night, where she had seen the two figures pass, and where was the wall door through which the dying man had been thrust. "'I wish I might see that door clearer.' said cleek for night had fallen and the moon was not yet up don't happen to have such a thing as a telescope or an opera glass do you miss valmond my brother has a pair of field glasses downstairs in his room shall i run and fetch them for you i'd be very grateful if you would said cleek and a moment after she had gone run down and get my sketching materials out of the locker will you mr narkom he added I want to make a diagram of that house and garden. Then he sat down on the window seat, and for five whole minutes was alone. The field glasses and the sketching materials were brought, the garden door examined, and the diagram made, Miss Valmond and Narkom standing by and watching eagerly the whole proceeding. That's all said Cleek, after a time, brushing the charcoal dust from his fingers and snapping the elastic band over the sketchbook. "'I know my man at last, Mr. Narkom. 
"'Give me until ten o'clock tomorrow night, "'and then, if Miss Valmond will let us in here again, "'I'll capture Barrington Edwards red-handed.' "'You are sure of him, then?' "'As sure as I am that I am alive. "'I'll lay a trap that will catch him. "'I promise you that. "'So if Miss Valmond will let us in here again—' "'Yes, Mr. Headland, I will.' "'Good. "'Then let us say at ten o'clock tomorrow night.' here in this room. You, I, your brother, Mr. Narkom, all concerned, said Cleek. At ten to the tick, remember. Now come along, Mr. Narkom, and let me be about weaving the snare that shall pull this Mr. Barrington Edwards to the scaffold. Speaking, he bowed to Miss Valmond, and, taking Mr. Narkom's arm, passed out and went down the stairs to prepare for the last great act of tragedy. End of section 6